Has anybody ever offered you an apology, but as you listen to them, you realize that's not very sincere apology. They're, they're really just making excuses for why they did what they did. Listen to this. Assistant U.S. Attorney Kenneth Taylor apologized for referring to potential jurors in eastern Kentucky mountains as illiterate cave dwellers. That's what he called them. The people of that region, he called them uh, illiterate cave dwellers. Now, here's his apology. The comment was not meant to be a regional slur to the extent that it was misinterpreted to be one, I apologize. I'm apologizing because y'all are a little illiterate cave builder. You don't even understand what I'm saying. It sounds to me like he was calling them a name. Or what about this one? This is CNN founder Ted Turner apologizing for repeatedly calling Christianity a religion of losers. Here's what he said. I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to apologize for statements I made about Christianity. I did it mainly out of frustration. At one time or another, I've offended almost every group. I'm sure I'll be apologizing again. So he's really not apologizing. He's just saying, yeah, I did it, and I've done it before, and I'm probably going to do it again. But you know, sometimes we, we, we have people who are sincere in their apologies. By now, you have heard about the Will Smith slap heard round the world as he slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars uh, because Chris Rock made an off-color joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pickett Smith. And uh, I don't know, if somebody offended my wife like that, I might have slapped them too. For, forgive me, Father. Um, but... But I'm not legitimizing what Will Smith did, but he did apologize. He's apologized to the Academy. He apologized to the people that were at the event. He apologized to Chris Rock. But what about Chris Rock? He hadn't apologized to anybody for what he said. And I'm just telling you, what he said was wrong, man. Uh, Will, he made a comment about Will's wife's shaved head, and she has a medical condition called alopecia that causes her to lose her hair. And so, um, you know, sometimes people apologize, and sometimes people don't apologize. We're going to close out our series today. Uh, we've been doing this series called Deal or No Deal. So this is the fifth sermon in this series, and case five today is our case. And you know the deal on deal or no deal. They have between a penny and a hundred and a million dollars, and you choose a case, and you can keep that case all the way to the end. Or if you choose to, you can sell out. I'm here to tell you today this is a case that God wants you to have. Now you can have this case or you can sell out to Satan along the way. And you know the drill. They open up the they open up the button. And Howie Mandel says, deal or no deal. And you get to either slam the case shut and keep the case you got, or you hit the button. This is one time you do not want to hit the button and take the deal that Satan is going to offer you. You know, we all lose it sometimes. And we all have to, um, we, we get ourselves in a place where we offend somebody. 
You know, we've talked about during this series how do I deal with it when somebody offends me, but what about when I offend somebody? What about when I'm the person that's in the wrong? How do we deal with that? And that's the question we raise today. How should I react when I have wronged someone? You know what happens to all of us? As we've gone through this series, we've talked about, you know, the deal with God is God loves us. And God wants us to love Him. And He wants us to love others. And if we love others, there's a way that we treat people and we deal with them, you know. We help them when they're in need. We forgive when they have wronged us. We deal with them in a loving manner when they oppose us, when we have opposing opinions. But today we think about how do I deal with it when I'm the one in the wrong and I have wronged somebody else. There's all kind of reasons why we do that. You know, sometimes we just make a mistake, right? None of us is without mistakes. Or we get in the heat of emotion like Will Smith and we do something that we later on wish we hadn't done. Maybe it's a, uh, we misread a situation or we're just not thinking clearly for some reason or, you know, we just have wrong thinking in our mind. You know what a lot of people do uh, when they do something, they say something, offend somebody, they say, well, that's just the way I was raised. Or they'll say something like, it's just the way I am or, or God made me that way and I, I can't help it. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you think you can't change then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible is in the life-changing business. And no matter where you're at or what you've done or what you will do in the future, Jesus can change that. And He can change you. And, and we've got to think about that because this lesson today comes from God's Word. In fact, it's Jesus' teaching. If you have a red-letter Bible, these words are in red letters. These are the words of Jesus. And... Uh, you know, if your excuse is, I just can't change, then you've got to get to know this Jesus because he can change you. So I'd like for everybody to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, there's a pew Bible there if you didn't bring a Bible or you can use your cell phone or tablet or whatever you have here. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount takes up chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. We're going to study the whole Sermon on the Mount this summer. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and go all the way through chapter 7. And we'll be looking at what all his message is. But today we're going to just focus on this one little part where Jesus talks about dealing with people that you or I have wronged. You know, Jesus is probably up above the Sea of Galilee, north of the city of Capernaum, up on a mountain. And he sits down and he begins to teach the people and give them this message. Let's read Matthew 5, and we'll begin at verse 21. You have heard that it was said by people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says to you, fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to, to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, if you read this and you think about it at first glance, it kind of seems all disconnected. I mean, what is Jesus talking about here? There's three parts to this. There's three paragraphs in that section I read. There's three sins, three kinds of sins mentioned here. Did you know a sin can be what you do? Like, for example, murder is something you do. A sin can be what you think. He says here, if any of you is angry, that happens in the mind, anger. A sin can be what you say. He says, if you go about calling people names, raka or fool, and we'll talk about what those mean in just a minute, that can be a sin. A sin can even be, the Bible says, when you fail to do the right thing, you sin. And so he's talking about sinning here, and he's talking about this in a context when you're the one doing the sinning against another person. The first thing Jesus teaches us here is to keep your inner attitude in check. Keep your inner attitude in check. You know, he says in that first paragraph, you have heard it said, do not murder. That's a reference back to the uh, Ten Commandments. That's one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments, don't murder. But Jesus extends the meaning of that on out. He says it's not just about the physical act of murder, but it's what leads up to the act of murder that's a sin also. And that is becoming angry uh, with another person. That is having ill will towards another person. And that would include, you know, name calling and even hatred would be part of that. In the Jewish culture in which Jesus lived, you know, if you uh, called somebody a name, uh, Raka, for example, which means stupid, or empty-headed, or idiot, that you would be answerable to the Jewish ruling council. They could call you before that, because that was, a, that was not the way the Jewish people wanted to live. You know, when you say that, you're lifting yourself up, and you're putting them down. You're saying, I'm better than you. I'm, I'm more important than you. You're just an idiot. You know, that's one of my favorite words, and I have to repent all the time for saying that. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, you idiot. Forgive me, Father. But in that day, you could be called before the Jewish leaders and called out and reprimanded for using that kind of language. You know, you, you may not realize it, but if you call somebody a fool in that day, it was even worse. What do we think about when we call somebody a fool? We think, well, they're, they're just silly. They're just kind of stupid fool. You know, they, they don't think properly. But in that day, when you called somebody a fool, you were saying they had no regard for God, that they were morally bankrupt. Proverbs 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so that was a detriment to a person's character, especially if they were a fellow Jewish person and you called them a fool. Man, that was a tremendous offense. Even God, it says, would take offense to that. You're in danger of the fire of hell, it says. And so we've got to be careful about keeping our attitude in check about what we think about people and the names that we call people. Because we have to watch our attitude. God's watching your attitude, and He wants you to watch your attitude. Don't look down on others who are part of God's creation. 
I love what Martin Luther King, the famous uh, civil rights leader, said. He has said, avoid not only violence of deed, but violence of spirit. It's not okay just to not do violent things. Don't think violently. Don't have this attitude in my spirit. I wish I could kill that person or whatever. You keep it in check. You keep that inner attitude in check. Now, Jesus goes on in the next paragraph, verse 23, and he says, if you've treated somebody wrong, you know, maybe you insulted them like this or you've had bad thoughts about that person, then he says, you go to him. And that leads us to the second point here is that we should seek reconciliation with that person. Be reconciled, verse 24 says. Now, I'm the first one here to tell you that can be hard to do. It can be hard sometimes, especially when you're the one in the wrong. You know what? It, it's usually our nature. When we wrong somebody, we just say, well, I'll just stay away from them. I hope it'll pass over, and, and maybe they'll forgive me, and we won't ever have to talk to each other until, you know, something good happens. But Jesus says, no, you go to them. And you know what? You know when you wrong somebody, usually. We know when we've done something wrong. And, and Jesus gives two examples here. You know, one is that anger and hatred and name-calling, kind of contempt for another person. But he also says, what if it's so bad that it's a legal matter? What if you violated that person's rights and, and they're taking you to court? He says, don't go to court. Settle it before you ever get to court. Now, he's assuming that you're in the wrong. You know how our world thinks? It doesn't matter whether I'm wrong or right as long as I can win the court case. You know, I'll just go to court because they're not going to find me guilty, even though you know in your heart you are wrong. Jesus is saying, don't live like that. If you're wrong, you go to the person and you let them know. Last week, we studied a little bit and we looked in Romans chapter 7. I just want to remind you of verse 17 and 18 there. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see what Jesus is saying, what the Bible's telling us? We have a responsibility to try to make peace out of the situation. The whole purpose is to do what's right in the eyes of God and try to make things right. I need to tell something on myself. Confession time. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine invited me to play golf. And he had some friends that played on Saturday mornings. And, and I go to play golf, and everybody's introducing themselves. And this one guy gave his name. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I thought, man, that name rings a bell somewhere. And I, where have I heard that name before? And so we got out there playing. About the third hole, it hit me. I went to school in the sixth grade with a guy that had that same name. And I got to thinking about that guy. I wonder... Because I was in Greenville, Tennessee in the sixth grade. My dad was a preacher at the Methodist church there. And, and I was thinking, that's where I know this guy from. And he kind of looked like, of course, it's 50 years later. And I'm thinking, that guy might be that same guy that, that, um, that I went to school with. He, he looked like he could be that guy. Now, the, 
bad part of the story is when we were in the sixth grade, that guy was a smart aleck. And he was always shooting off his mouth at somebody. And a bunch of us guys, we all hung out together. And we were talking one day and somebody said, somebody just needs to punch him in the mouth one time and we'll straighten him out. So I got to thinking about that and I thought, I'm the guy that's going to straighten this out. Now, I was no fighter in, in that day, you know. I played basketball, and I loved basketball, and that was what my life was. I wasn't a boxer or a fighter. But anyway, that guy ran his mouth one day, and it just crawled all over me, and I hit him in the mouth. And he looked at me, and he turned, and he, we were on the playground at school, and he started walking back toward the school. And I started pushing him, trying to provoke him, trying to get him to, to, to fight, and he would not fight me he, he looking back he was actually the bigger person he walked into the school and of course I didn't go in there trying to fight because I knew the principal would catch me but that is weighed on my mind especially after I became a mature Christian I realized you know that's a bad thing so here I am on the golf course and I'm thinking in my mind this is the guy and I know what the Bible says and so I'm going to have to pull this guy off to the side and talk to him so as we went on, I, I finally got the opportunity, and I asked the guy, I said, you know, uh, have, have, did you ever live in Greenville, Tennessee? Nope, lived in Bristol all my life. I said, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I went back home and tried to look the other guy up on the Internet, and I could not find him because I was going to send him a message and say, hey, remember sixth grade? And, and I was going to apologize. Now, I don't know if we're supposed to make a list of everybody we've ever done anything wrong with and start seeking them out. You know, some 12-step programs teach you to, to uh, when you're in recovery, like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, to make a list and go apologize to people. I do know this. If you're in a situation right now and you've wronged somebody, you need to figure out how you're going to go talk to them. This is what Jesus is telling that you need to figure out how you're going to go talk to that person and how you're going to find a way to apologize to them and make it right. This is so serious, said Jesus, that if you're at worship, if you're getting ready to make a sacrifice to, to the Lord, you don't make that sacrifice. You set it down, you go make it right with the other person, and then you come back and make your sacrifice. And that leads to the third point here. Until reconciliation is attempted, worship is unacceptable. You know, in, in, in Jesus' day, people worshiped just a little bit different. This is before Jesus died on the cross. And part of their worship was singing, just like we sing. We take communion. That's part of our worship. But part of their worship was to make a sacrifice. They would bring a sacrifice, and you had to offer that to the priest and then he offered it to God on your behalf. So you had to have that priest as a go-between. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're waiting in line for your turn to give your sacrifice to the priest, and you remember, hmm, so-and-so's got something against me, you set your sacrifice down, you go make it right with them, and then come back and offer your sacrifice. You know, your worship is not acceptable to God, if there's something going on between you and somebody else, you need to make an apology. 
Lalani Schweitzer. Lalani Schweitzer works at a hospital, Stanford Hospital in California. She gave an NPR TED Talk, and she talked about uh, the task that she has is on behalf of the hospital, she goes to people and she apologizes and make amends when the hospital has done something wrong to the people there. She's the right person for the job. You know why? 20 years ago at that same hospital, her 20-month-old son, Gabriel, died because of a nurse's error and because of the lack of fail-safe in the equipment that was used. And Seitzer speaks about how the hospital came to her during that time and they honestly and transparently admitted to their problem and their fault. She said it would have been easy for the university hospital administrators just to blame the nurse and fire her and assume that everything was going to be all right because they did that, but they didn't do that. She said they investigated, uh, they explained what happened, they took responsibility, they apologized, and they changed total policies of how they did something because they said they were in the wrong and they took care of the situation. Now she works for that same hospital to do that same task when the hospital messes up. And she realizes, she said, how difficult it is because there's shame and there's guilt and there's fear. Usually hospitals don't apologize. They just turn it over to their legal apartment and let them handle it. But now in her position, she has to go to families where the hospital has messed up. Here's what she said. I've been in many meetings where we explain to patients and families what has happened. And those are difficult things to be part of. I've seen an explanation move the guilt off of a mother's face. I mean, that's the power. I've seen parents walk into a meeting with a physician where no one can lift their heads and look at each other. And by the end of that meeting, they're embracing. It is remarkable what understanding and apology can do for people. You see, it's huge, this thing of apologizing. We've been doing some uh, video testimonies this year, and we have another one today. And this is one of our, uh, our church members, Don Shelley. He tends the early service. And he's going to give his testimony. And he's going to talk in here about how he had to apologize to some people for some things he'd done. Watch this. I'm Don Shelley. This is my restoration story. When I was young, I went to church with my parents and brothers and sisters every Sunday. Probably when I got about 16 years old, uh, things went downhill because I started working and I quit going to church. And I actually didn't get back in the church until I was 20 some years old when I got baptized out at West Hills Christian. And then uh, we went to Seeking Springs Church and then when I married Becky, we started coming here and we get a good message and it's always understandable instead of somebody up there just yelling and screaming and you don't know what they're talking about. My wife passed away nine years ago and it was very hard on me. But then the year after that, 
my daughter passed away and it was extremely hard on me and I didn't know where I was going to turn or what I was going to do. I started reading the Bible. I know it sounds silly, but the good Lord spoke to me and told me what Psalm to read and to have the preacher to preach on at her funeral. And it totally changed me after that because I guess I just realized that I wasn't living the life I should have lived all these years. I read the Bible and the Bible tells you that you're supposed to go to people that you have wronged and ask for forgiveness and then turn it over to the Lord at the same time and let Him understand what you're going through and what you was going through at that time that you made the big mistake in your life that you had made. I reached out to my family members and friends that I had wronged when I was younger and I realized at that time that some people will let you apologize to them and some people won't. I honestly feel like I'm a lot more at peace and not having everything jabbing me in the back like I felt at that time. I mean, when you wrong someone, you may not realize it at that time, but later in years, it feels like somebody is hitting you in the back, telling you you've done something wrong and you need to correct it the best you can if you believe in the Lord. When you reach out to someone that you've hurt, you have to actually be sincere of what you're going to say to them because if you just say in words just to try to make yourself look good, it, it backfires on you. You have to be actually genuine, honest, and sincere of what you say to that person or they won't never want to go to somebody that maybe they have wronged and tell them what their problem was at the time and why they did such a bad thing. Because the Lord will take care of you as long as you look at Him and then you go and tell these people or whoever it may be that you did something wrong. Nine times out of 10, they will give you forgiveness for it. But make sure you ask the Lord at that time too for forgiveness. I had several people when I did my apologies and tried to tell them I had wronged them. I had two that would not accept no apology. Some of them did accept my apology and were a lot better off just being able to talk and be family and friends again. Since I've reconciled some of those relationships, I actually feel more at ease and peace than what I did before because I was always real, real nervous and I felt like everybody was looking at me all the time when they weren't. I wouldn't change a thing after I've done it because it's made me feel 100% better. And I guess I've realized that Christ and God have been with me the whole time through every walk in my life and I just did not hold their hand like I should have been. You know, 
not everybody's going to accept your apology. You know, the way to get around that is don't do anybody wrong, but, but we all mess up sometimes. And when you do somebody wrong, you go to them and you offer an apology and you seek reconciliation. Here's our connection. God desires that his people seek loving and honest relationships with him and with others. You know, God's deal is he's all about love. He loves us tremendously. He's not a big, bad, ugly God. He's a good God. And he's trying to do what's best for us in this world. And he loves us and he calls us to love him back. And sin gets in the way of that. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus forgives our sins. And we can be restored to God. And we can love him. But then he makes a deal. He says, I want you to love other people in this world. And really, I hope you've understood that's what this series has been all about. That's the deal with God. It's all about love. He wants us to love. Daniel Fusco says, it's called for a love that looks upward and inward and outward. Upward, inward, and outward. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upward, that's God. Outward, that's others. But inward, that's loving yourself. And it's all about that word we talked about, agape. That's the Greek word for the love that God wants us to have for people. It is that care and that respect and that concern and wanting the best for other people. We're to love ourselves that way. And until we love ourselves that way, we can't really love God and love other people that way. And until we come to grips with the fact that we're not perfect and we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we're never going to learn to love ourselves. So God calls you to love upward and inward and outward. And part of that means that we treat people the way God treats us that we go to them if we love them we forgive if they've wronged us when we're in opposition when we have different ideas we treat them still with that love even though we agree to disagree and when we've wronged them we go and tell them that we're sorry and ask for forgiveness you know that's what Jesus wants to bring into your life. And if you come to grips with who you are, that you're not perfect, and you need His forgiveness, and you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, it will begin a process of working in your life. So God's offering you a deal today. There's a button over. Satan wants to bite his case. He wants to make you an offer. But God wants you to hold on to this case. Because what's in this case, if you decide to accept it, is that it's all about love. And that's what God calls us to. That's the deal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, first of all. And for the fact that, Lord, you want us to love you back and you want us to love your people, your creation. You want us to do everything in our power to try to be the kind of people that show the love that you've shown us. And 
you know, God, it's not always easy, but with your help, through our faith in Jesus and through your Holy Spirit that works in our lives, we can become what you want us to be in this world and live this kind of life. So I'm, I'm calling on you today, Father, to help us to send that Spirit to infuse in us this love that we can go out into this world and be the kind of people that would make you proud in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. I pray and praise today. Amen.